think that our trials are unfair. But listen, we live in a fallen world, and trials are awful. We can't say that trials are good in and of themselves, that God works through those trials to produce good things, which we'll get to. But we know in the midst of those trials, bad things happen. And yet, we deserve far worse. We deserve God's wrath, his anger, his fury. That's what we deserve. And yet he gives us mercy and grace and steadfast love. We need to not drift from the Lord when trials come, but we need to press into him. Right? We need to call out to him. It's a very natural thing. Lord, I need you. I need you. We sang it on Wednesday. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you, Lord. How often do, you, do we start our day, Lord, I need you? It's a simple prayer, but a, a beautiful one. I was uh, in Washington, D.C., and I was uh, starting a Bible study. And um, it was a men's study, and it was, we were studying through Samuel. And I was so excited for this study because I wanted to kind of help these men grow in Christ and um, help them, you know, be a man after God's own heart. And uh, what... When I started the group, what it became was a group of, of homeless men. Homeless men who had uh, severe psychotic issues. Not what I initially signed up for. Uh, but God was teaching me what I needed to hear from the study. That God looks with, you know, man looks with man's, we see things with man's eyes. We need to look at with God's eyes. And I'll never forget one prayer that this man prayed. He just stopped and just wept and said, God help me. God help me. Amen. He didn't know all the language. He didn't know all the, didn't, wasn't a Christian for a long time. Didn't know all the, the great ways, the phrase of prayer. He just said, God help me. And beloved, sometimes we just need to say, God help me. God help me. Even here, right there at the verse 5, listen to what God's word says. It says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Abounding in steadfast love, what to all who call upon you. It's almost very similar to what we read in James that God gives wisdom to all without finding fault. If you come to God with a pure heart, asking and seeking His face, you will find Him. That's the promise of of God. It doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter how far you think you have drifted from the Lord. It doesn't matter where your heart is this morning. If you call upon the Lord, He will answer you because he's good and forgiving. You know, and as God's people, that's, that, that's how we need to be. We need to be good and forgiving. Is there someone in your life that you haven't forgiven? Is there someone in your life that you are harboring bitterness against? Is there someone in your life that it's, you are quick to judge them for how they're living their life? Will you pray for that person's repentance? Will you pray for your own heart to forgive as Christ has forgiven you? Well, I think the bulk of this prayer can really be found in, in, the, in, in the next uh, section. So not only do we confess our crisis, we just remind ourselves of the character of God. We confess the character of God. We preach that to ourselves. Look what verse 8 says. There is none. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like 
yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. I was talking to a brother this week, looking over this passage, and he just said, I just, it always amazes me that people go through their trials and they kind of turn to all these different things to, to try to get through their trial. When we have the Lord, there is no one like the Lord. He is great and does wondrous things. And sometimes God uses all these trials so that we can get there. We should always start there, shouldn't we? God is great and does wondrous things. I think that the great battle of the heart, the great battle of the mind when we deal with trials, is we, it's a picture of balance scale. Uh, you know, Lady Justice, I used to see this all the time in D.C. and on the Supreme Court. She's, she's got the blindfold on and she's got the scales to, to show they're perfectly balanced. Well, here's what the evil one does when trials come. You have the balance scales and the evil one wants to, wants to, to weigh down these trials. Right? He wants to make you think that these trials are insurmountable. Make you, you elevate the, the, the weightiness or the heaviness of these trials. And I think what we're called to do as Christians is we're called to do the opposite. We need to weigh down the goodness and the greatness and the mighty power of our God. Right? So these trials look nothing in comparison to our God. That's exactly what he's doing here, isn't it? Right? He says, "For you are great and do wondrous things. What are, what are the works of the Lord that you can remind your own heart when trials come? I've told you numerous times, take a walk and remember that God, the sovereign God, created the world by his word. He set the stars in the sky. He, he caused the sun to rise every morning and set each night. He brings the cool breeze upon our face on a hot day. He sends the rain to water our crops. He, he causes food to spring forth from the ground. It's a custom for Christians that when food comes, we, we stop and we pause and we thank God for the, the bounty that he has given us. And yet how quick are we just to, to go through that quick prayer before, before a meal to say it real quick. Let me just say a quick blessing. Well, what that blessing is reminding you to do is that God gave you that food. Even that is a gift from his, his hand. He ordered the universe to have just the right chemical makeup, to have, have trees to give oxygen so we can breathe, trees to give shade, to give us water to drink. He sustains everything. Every step we take is a gift. Every breath we have, every movement of our body, every, every embrace of a family member, every, every beat of our heart is a work of the Lord. Are we weighing down how good God is, or are we letting trials cripple us because they seem so heavy? How often do you read the Bible and it talks about how God has worked in history? How God called Abraham a, a, a pagan, making him the, the father of many nations, the promise. God giving victory over Egypt through the, through the plagues. God parting the Red Sea and having the Red Sea fall upon the Egyptians so that you may know that he is the Lord. 
How he, how he fed the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness with, with mammon falling from the sky and, and quail flying in and dying right before their feet. Right? And, and water coming from a rock. How, how God gave victory to, to the Israelites with a trumpet blast at, at Jericho. Or how God gave victory over the, the Philistines with a, with a slingshot from a teenage boy following a mighty warrior. Or how God grew David and Solomon to a, to a mighty kingdom. Or how he stopped the mouth of lions in, in the lion's den with Daniel. And, and allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to walk through the fiery furnace without, without harm. How he fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And how awesome that prophecy was fulfilled in Christ. God coming in the flesh to pay for your sins on the cross. Bearing all the wrath of God against you, being buried and being raised from the dead to give us hope of glory. And how upon his ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit. So when we call upon the Lord, he, he puts hope into our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about all that God has done in history for his people. And that is just in the Bible, let alone all the ways God has spoken through, through the saints in the Reformation and following. But outside of the history that God has done, God has worked in history. What has God done in your life? How God has given you friends, dear friends, to encourage and to love you. How God specifically, uniquely wired you in a certain way to give you a mind that can think, to give you an emotion that can feel, to, to, to hurt when people hurt. How, how, how you have overcome sickness. There's many of you here who have had severe sickness and God has carried you through. There's many of you who have, have watched loved ones die and God sustained you during that, that trial. Many of you have seen children being born. And many of you have received the promise of salvation in Christ. Listen, when you're struggling with a trial, we want to weigh down how awful this trial is. What God is doing here through his word is remember that the works of the Lord are good. He is good. He is forgiving. He is full of steadfast love and mercy. He is gracious. He is kind. So that when we, we look at our trials, we weigh down the greatness of God. And we think of two verses come to mind. Romans 8.18 says, For consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be received. I think a verse that, that might fit even better is 2 Corinthians 4.17, which says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I just love that. You know, this idea that, that, that what's being prepared for us is so much better than these trials. It is so much better than these trials. Now, in, in the moment, does it feel like a light and momentary affliction? As a 13-year-old boy, worrying that the black mushrooms were going to come out and get me at any moment, right? That did not seem like a light and momentary affliction. When you are dealing with, with cancer, when you're dealing with, with a loss of a loved one, when you're dealing with financial stresses, when you're dealing with a difficult marriage, difficult decisions, it does not feel like a light and momentary affliction. And yet it is in light of eternity. Because our life here is but a vapor. It's here one minute and gone the next. And God's word reminds us that he's great and his works are like no other. That's why he says in verse 11, 
Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. When we're in a trial, we need to ask God to teach us in that trial. How can I walk faithfully with you in the midst of that trial? How can I continue to fear your name, to give you honor and glory in the midst of this trial? I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. You see how that turns there? So he's calling out to God, and this is what happens when we pray, when we, we confess our, our, our state before the Lord, remind ourselves of his character. What it does, is it produces trust in us, in his character. I will glorify your name forever. Forever I will glorify your name. Forever. Hear that. Your trial will end. But you will be in the presence of God forever. And why? Verse 13. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Some scholars would say that this prayer is a a model prayer of Christ. Christ calling out night and day. And we know that verse 13, you've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, is, is very similar to Psalm 16. If you have your Bible, just turn to Psalm 16 for a second. I want to just show you this. I want to read the entire psalm. Uh, so if you have, you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. Psalm 16. Just hear this, this, this prayer, very similar. And when, when you think this, think Christ and think resurrection. Think Christ and think resurrection. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The reason why we can have joy in the midst of trials is because what God has purchased for us through his death and his resurrection. He will not abandon us to shield. He will not let us see decay, but we will be in the Lord's presence. To be absent from the body is to be present in the Lord. We have all eternity to experience the, the, the things, at, at the, the, the pleasures that are at the right hand of the Lord. Now, we need to remind ourselves of that because that is not natural when we're going through trial. This is the, the, the scale, the, the battle of the scales here is what I'm saying. That, that, is a, that is a daily battle when you're going through difficulty. A daily battle. And every day you remind yourself of the goodness of God. You remind yourselves of what God has done for you in Christ. How God has solved your greatest problem in his resurrection from the dead. Your flesh dwells secure because of Christ on the cross. 
Lastly, let me just finish up here in, in Psalm 86. We want to confess the conquest of God. This is really just declaring his victory. I haven't even mentioned what David's trial is, but we see it right there in verse 14. It says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Now, many of us have had trials, some very severe trials, but probably not many of us here have been, been on the, um, the receiving end of a, a band of ruthless men desiring to take your life. I mean, I have had the black mushrooms chasing me. That, that deserved better humor. Um, and some of you here I know may be dealing with some of this right now. But listen, uh, this is what David is dealing with. This is a very real trial. I don't think that we understand um, third world or first century or second century B.C. problems like we do here in America, right? First world problems we deal with. Man, my cell phone just won't work. They keep on raising the, the, uh, the air conditioning. My, my air conditioning bill keeps on going up because of the, the rate hikes. Now, are those trials, are they things that, that squeezes a little bit? Yeah. But we're not hi hiding from Boko Haram. Right? We're not hiding from ISIS. Right? There are some very real things, and that is what David's praying here. And he's calling out to God. And even in the midst of this great trial, he says, God is good. Whatever trial you're facing, God is good. Why? Look what it says. It says, these men also, they have not set you before them. Their greatest problem is not, um, I should say this, David's problem with these men chasing after him, wanting his life, is not as great as the problem that these men face. Because these men don't have God. And the Holy One of the universe is pursuing them in anger as they try to do harm. So David prays, verse 15, But you, O Lord, hear it again, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Uh, last week I've been reading a lot of uh, of the book, a book called God, the Global Gospel. And in, in this book, what it's trying to, to unpack is that uh, you can read the Bible in this idea of honor and shame. And as I've, I've, as I've read the book and I've seen throughout Scripture, what we have to, have to understand is the shame that we have felt because of our sin, the shameful things that we have done, God also takes that away. He doesn't just pay our, our penalty, but He takes away our shame. He removes it so that he no longer turns his face from us, but he, but he welcomes us. You, you, you know that the picture, I just picture a, a, a son doing something evil, doing something that dishonors the family name, walking him, walk into his house, and to see his father, instead of embracing him, seeing a father turn. Turn his face away because of the anger and the shame that, that he feels because of what the son did. Well, what, what has our God done? 
Our God no longer is facing away from us, but our God has turning towards us because he's gracious and merciful. And he he removes our our shame so that when we die, we we look into the, the face of Christ. That's why we sing, I will glory in my Redeemer, your face forever to behold, your face to forever, forever behold. That is the gift that God has given us in Christ. That is the, the gift that these men will miss because they do not set Christ before them. They do not fear the Lord. So you can go through your trial and you can weigh them down and think that they are, are, are far greater than the good things that God has given you. Or you can flip it around and say, God is good. God is gracious. He has been faithful to us in so many ways. He will be faithful to us again. And remember that when, 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 when the trial involves people who are out to get you, you should pity those people because you have God on your side. And they do not. Beloved, no matter what happens in your life, you are not alone because you have Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Let's pray. Father, Help us pursue you in the midst of our trials. Help us trust you. Help us love you. Help us uh, win the battle of the scales. Help us always to see that your goodness and your works in and through and for us far outweigh the light and momentary afflictions. For you are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with hope like only you can. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.